Hello, and welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. We've been away for quite some time, so welcome back. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And today is a special bonus episode, as we are not yet fully prepared to dive into season five, but rest assured that will come eventually. Today we are discussing, going to be discussing uh, a few different things that Eleni will now tell you. Oh, yeah? Yes, you will tell. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a mixture of our thoughts since the last time we recorded. Uh, like Jeffrey said, we've been away from quite some time. I think the last episode was in November. No, that was like 2020. You're thinking our last episode was last August. Stop it. Well, our last like se- we ended season four last August and then we did our recap with Sam that came out first week of September. Oh my God. Time flies. I feel. But we recorded that in August. So that's why I'm thinking August. Okay. Well, I feel old. Um, (laughs) Shit, time flies. (laughs) Yeah. So much has changed since last August, hasn't it? Or that just me? I mean, so much has changed and yet so much has stayed the same. Yeah. I've just been in this damn apartment forever. (laughs) Nothing's changed. Nothing's happened. Whereas I, since last August, I returned to in-person university for the first time in 18 months. That was kind of traumatic. Um, What else happened? I got fired. I went on antidepressants, et cetera. Anything else I'm missing? (laughs) Not that I know of. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, the usual. The usual. You know, I feel like we're all on antidepressants. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So today, since it's been since August, Jesus. Um, you know, you have time to think about some stuff. You have time to rewatch certain episodes. You have time to think about, oh, I should have said this during that episode, you know? So today we're just doing um, a little bit of a hodgepodge of stuff. I know Jeffrey wanted to touch on um, a conversation that we've had many a time about Michelle and his sexuality and how the show didn't really do him justice. Yes. Um. So Jeffrey, what was the book that you read that you said made you think about all this again? Well, first of all, you know how on The View they used to have Joy's Comedy Corner? I think we should have like Jeffrey's Story Corner or something, no? No. (laughs) Okay. So the book is called The 2000s Made Me Gay, Essays on Pop Culture uh, by Grace Perry. And I read this um, not too long after we finished last year. Um, and at the time I remember thinking, oh, I want to share this when we start our next season. And originally I was thinking like season five, episode one, I mean, this is going to be our intro topic, but we're not still not there yet. So I figured, well, I'll do it, uh, today on our bonus episode. So I'd like to share selections from a chapter in this book. Um, the chapter in question is titled Harry Potter and the half-assed gay character. Um, any any predictions as to where I'm going to be going with this? For bringing up that bitch, Joanne. Okay. Yes. I will. Before I begin, <laughs> before I begin, wanted to say trigger warning as this uh, will involve Harry Potter and some of J.K. Rowling and her nonsense. Although none of the none of the selections I've picked out deal explicitly with her transphobia, but do know PSA: we do not stand with Joanne or any of her transphobic nonsense. Right. Right. Okay, so as I said, this chapter is called Harry Potter and the Half-Assed Gay Character, and away we go. 
At a Q&A at Carnegie Hall, J.K. Rowling casually mentioned that that fictional wizard genius Albus Dumbledore is gay. It was October 2007. The seventh and final book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, had been out for three months. The series was complete. A fan had asked the author if, for all his opposing of the all-conquering power of love, the Hogwarts headmaster had ever found love himself. My truthful answer to you, Rowling replied, I always thought of Dumbledore as gay. The gay announcement was met with huge applause. Rowling further explained that she imagined Dumbledore's brief yet explosive friendship with the all-powerful Gellert Grindelwald as, a, as young men explored in detail in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows as a romantic one. She never wrote anything in the book that explicitly confirmed Albus and Gellert were a couple, but sure, perhaps gay dude is written somewhere on a self-imposed character worksheet she filled out in an Edinburgh cafe in 1997. Predictably, the news outraged conservative groups, but even among liberals, a fierce debate was sparked. Can an author decide something about a character that isn't explicitly, isn't explicitly written in the text? It's hard to imagine this cultural debate would have been a thing had Rowling, had Rowling dubbed Dumbledore, say, a straight widower with a dead wife who was never mentioned in the book, but no matter. The subtext became, is Dumbledore really gay? And on top of that, why does it matter if a fictional wizard is gay? Miss Rowling quite consciously makes Dumbledore a flower, more human wizard than J.R.R. Tolkien's wizards, but now goes too far. Edward Rothstein wrote for the New York Times art section at the time, in an opinion piece that bends over backwards to argue why Dumbledore isn't really gay. Remember, we're talking about a fictional wizard here. Over at Entertainment Weekly, writer Mark Harris championed the headmaster's proclaimed identity as an LGBT triumph. He praised the move, saying Rowling's announcement about Dumbledore isn't a plot twist. It's a challenge to look at the world, even a world of wizards and magic, as it really is. To me, it wasn't a big deal, noted cisgender heterosexual J.K. Rowling told actor uh, Daniel Radcliffe in a 2012 conversation. This is, this is a very old man who has a very terrible job to do, and his gayness is not really relevant. All of this to say, I didn't have any visceral, vis, visceral reaction to JK's gay announcements. I was a closeted 17 year old and a Potter nerd. So I stuck to the text and nothing in the text explicitly confirmed Dumbledore's sexual identity in any which direction. For context, I was mid relationship with my female best friend yet in total denial of my queer feelings. The, self, the self-loathing structures of closet brain cast jet block shadows over many of my memories of late high school. Perhaps that's why I can't recall my exact take on the news at the time. All I know is that in the scheme of things, I cared much more about Snape killing Dumbledore than Dumbledore's alleged gayness. Rowling's irritating wink-nudge approach to Dumbledore's queerness makes me wonder if she felt the character would have to change were she, were she, have, were she to have made this sexually explicit in the books. Imagine JK had written in, say, a tender kiss, teen, a tender teenage kiss between Gellart and Albus to confirm their romance, as she did with Harry and Cho, and Harry and Ginny, and Ron and Hermione, and you get it. It's not like droves of fans would protest that Dumbledore hadn't seemed gay in the other books. He's an occult obsessed dude who wears bedded robes, lives alone in a tower with a theatrical and literally flamboyant bird hoards receipts of memories, and whisks off to meetings late, late at night. Nothing about Dumbledore reads as blazingly straight, to say the least. Oh yeah, if he's gay, why is his beard so ungroomed? Fans would surely not be asking. Where is his Madame Maxine-inspired drag persona? Oh, and how do you expect us to believe that this is a gay man if, we're not, if, we, are, if we have not once seen him doing poppers over seven books? 
14 years later, Dumbledore's sexuality has yet to be depicted on page, stage, or screen. The, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film series premiered in 2016 and documents the American wizarding world about 70 years prior to the Harry Potter series. Much of it centers on a young Albus Dumbledore, including his friendship with Grindelwald. So far, two of five films total in the series have been released. And side note, I'm pretty sure the third one just came out recently. And neither of them have, has explicitly confirmed Dumb Dumby's sexual leanings. That's not to say it won't happen in the coming films. In fact, given how relative, relatively gay-friendly the entertainment climate has become and how Rowling has tripled and quadrupled down on her Dumbledore's gay announcement since 2007, I'd be surprised if the films don't depict Albus and Gellhart's romance on screen at some point. It makes me a little sad to imagine how lovely it would have been had Dumbledore been openly gay throughout the whole series. At the point I was reading them, I'd never seen any gay character who had been a moral, a story's moral and intellectual center. I'd pretty much only seen gay people on reality TV. What if my ultimate source of order and reason had been an old heartbroken gay spinster and to have been portrayed, to have been betrayed tragically by someone he loved at a young age, how humanizing. I would have killed for an all-knowing being who spent his entire life sulking over his high school ex-boyfriend. Killed. To be, able to, to be able to say I am both right and gay at all times is the absolute dream. And Dumbledore didn't belong just to me. What if the person an entire generation of kids looked to for reason and comfort and existential guidance had been queer? I wish I could say I would have seen my own queerness sooner or had the courage to come out sooner, but that's really impossible to know. I can say with confidence, it's nice to think, it's very nice to think about Dumbledore, the wise gay, but that's not what happened. Whether or not you accept Rowling's post-publication additions to the Wizarding Worlds as canon, the phrase Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's gay remains shrouded in skepticism and eye rolls. He's a queer hero with a big asterisk. By electing to omit Dumbledore's sexuality from the text and retcon diversity in post-publication, Rowling ensured her intentions would be scrutinized and her godlike character would never be quite the gay icon he could have been. If Rowling did indeed write Dumbledore as gay, it's hard to imagine she never computed a cost-benefit analysis when deciding whether to include uh, that whether to include that detail in the books and movie adaptations. Perhaps if Rowling had a little more Hufflepuff in her, we would have gotten Dumbledore, the wise gay, in earnest. Instead, Dumbledore's sexuality is just a letdown to fans. Because queer TV and film characters are even still relatively rare, when they do appear, the stakes are higher and the potential for, misrep the potential for misrepresentation is bigger. Even if written by well-intentioned straight people, mishandled non-straight characters send inaccurate or misguided messages about LGBTQ people to straight audiences. Representation doesn't matter for the sake of visibility in itself, but for the sake of communicating the lived realities of queer people. The reveal of Dumbledore's gayness was utterly bungled, and because of that, it feels less legitimate than he had been out in the text. Yes, yeah, some of us had the Potter slash thick ships if we had sought them out, but it does not mean, but it does mean something for queerness to be, to be canonical. When, when gay characters and gay narratives are done right, it feels like the authors have our backs and thus give the illusion that powerful institutions like publishing and Hollywood do too. It's easy to imagine how such a botched job could lightly traumatize millennial gays into appreciating the importance of well-done queer characters. 
Perhaps it's made us skittish around gay characters, more suspicious of them and their creators' intentions, more trigger-happy with our bullshit radar, radar guns. For millennials, ham-fisting diversity into stories simply doesn't work. It comes off as fraudulent, and members of the group represented can smell it from a mile away. We can tell when diverse characters only exist in an attempt to score wokeness points, or at least we're highly suspicious of that happening. Our generation's demand for fully realized LGBTQ plus characters stems from witnessing so many letdowns. Thus concludes our story hour. Any thoughts? <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was way too long. Okay, well, rude. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share. I'm sure I'm sure everyone enjoyed. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess your thoughts first on how it relates to what we talked about um, with Michelle and his character. Yeah, so I think, and I was thinking I wanted to share this again because... Um, like, like you said, we've talked a lot about, um, why Mich like the whole discussion of why Michelle couldn't be openly gay in the original Gilmore Girls series compared to any year in the life when we see him and he has a husband and everything. Um, I think it's, and I think it's doesn't, it has less to do with like the 2000s being against gay characters. Cause like there are gay characters in a lot of 2000s media. It's just that they either they adhere to you, you know, the gay best friend trope or some other some other stereotype that audiences at the time could digest. And I think in terms of Michelle, it had to do a lot with the WB and that being a family network. And it wouldn't have been like the right arena, so to speak, for a gay character or like or, or a gay best friend kind of character. And so I think I like to believe based on everything we've said about Michelle and I only think about this when, I'm, when we're analyzing, not when I'm just watching for fun, but I think about it in terms of like Amy Sherman Palladino wanted to kind of queer code Michelle and thus that's why in a year in the life so many years later and it's on Netflix, not the WB that she that she was able to write him that way. So I think that kind of confirms that Michelle was queer coded, but like it was just problematic as kind of what she was saying about Dumbledore is just that it was utterly bundled in the sense that all they gave us were these like little these little breadcrumbs that we eat up now because it's like oh we know Michelle's gay in the future but at the time it's just problematic to say the least you know yeah um so the part about well-intentioned straight people writing gay characters mm -hmm. Um, I think that's why representation in a writer's room also matters, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of television shows, obviously not Joanne, but yeah, I no, remember. No, fuck, fuck Joanne. <laughs> yeah, but like just to go back to that because we're talking about it, I remember when that announcement was made and everyone was praising her. And then you think about it, even before she had these trash um, opinions about trans people, you think about it years later. Um, and you're like, who was that for? Yeah. Was that for actual gay people? Or was it for you to get the heat off of you when a bunch of critics were coming out and saying that Hogwarts is supposed to be this place that welcomes everyone? And this whole book and series is supposed to be a metaphor for how we shouldn't other people. Um, and yet, you know, there is no mention of homosexuality mm -mm. the ethnic or you know people of color in the book are very stereotypical um in this in the um 
you know, in the example of Cho Chang, like she made two, she gave the character two last names. Like she didn't do any fucking research. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, sure. so when that, when that announcement happened, I remember, I remember that announcement very vividly, actually. And I remember thinking, well, that's really cool that um, she would say that and that, you know, she would write a gay character. And then you think about it and you're like, she didn't fucking write a gay character. No, because as she said it fucking later. <laughs> yeah. And like, as the author pointed out, even like, I again, I have only seen the first two Fantastic Beasts movie. I can't speak for the one that just came out. Yeah. If, if you've seen it and have thoughts, please reach out to us. But um, like she said, there's still no like really open discussion of Dumbledore sexuality in those movies. And there was certainly no mention of it in the book. So I'm pretty sure in what you said, was it her trying to, you know, give something to gay people or was it her trying to take the heat off herself for all of these hypocrisies? I think the latter. Yeah. So I think at the time I was like, it's really cool of her to say that now knowing what we know, I for sure think it was just her trying to step away from, um, a lot of criticism that was coming her way. I, I will say in the third movie, I recently found out from one of my colleagues that in China, they deleted this three to five minute scene where um, Dumbledore and Grindelwald are talking and they make mention of um, the love that they used to have for each other. So it's nothing even very explicit, but there is um, at least a five minute scene um, of them talking about their love for each other. Now, I there's undertones because China has such a such an intense uh, censorship system, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think in the grand schemes of this grand scheme of the movie, it doesn't really make a difference, anyways, um, because that's what not that's not what characters go to see characters. That's not what people go to see the movies for, right? Um, it's always in the back of our minds, obviously, how they're going to handle that because it's Dumbledore's story. But you know, I don't think my generation is going to the movies now to see that. I think we're going to relive some of the magic that we felt while we were watching and reading Harry Potter. Um, but if we bring it back to Michelle, I think, yeah, like I said, I think that's why representation in writer's rooms also matters. Mm -hmm. um, I think that had there been more diversity in that writer's room, mm -hmm. Um, even the handling of Michelle in A Year in the Life would have been better. Yeah, I definitely agree in terms of diversity in writers' rooms. It's just, it's interesting to think about it in terms of, like, let's, like, because, you know, the announcement we were, that the chapter in the book was talking about happened in 2007, right? So that was already 15 years ago. Yeah. And, like, queer representation of all kinds was just in such a wildly different place 15 years ago right so imagine if a sim like imagine if in the same timeline because Gilmore Girls first went off the air in 2007 as well so imagine if in the same the same year the same timeline Amy Sherman Palladino who had left the show after season six she like came out and said oh I always intended Michelle as gay and I wrote and I tried to write him as such, but oh, the network blocked me, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that's the case. We're just imagining here. But like, if that had happened, I don't think, I think maybe from what I know about Amy Sherman Powell, you know, she would have been, she would have intended that for like, a, like for the gay fans, for like an LGBTQ, LG, 
LGBTQ audience. Like I think she would have intended it for that, but at the time, I think it would have been just been misconstrued. And even now, like I don't remember there being that much fanfare, so to speak, any year in the life when it came out and everyone was like, or when there was the line about oh Michelle's husband, or it was just it was just it was just an afterthought. So like that confirms that obviously he was more or less gay the whole time. It's just I don't know. Yeah, it's just but it also but it also makes me feel a little icky mm-hmm. when in the year in the life they're like, oh, well, my husband, I'm like, oh, great. He has a husband. But then you think back to season one where he's like, tell the ladies what a stud I am. Like yeah. you didn't only hide his gayness because of the network. You went out of your way to say he wasn't gay. Yeah. So there's a difference between the two, right? Yeah. It would be one thing if they didn't say anything at all, it would be another it's another entirely different thing when they're talking about when they're going out of their way to write lines in a script for him to say uh, that make the audience think that, okay, he's not gay then, you know what I mean? So I don't know what my reaction would have been if, you know, in 2008, let's say Amy Sherman Palladino was like, Oh yeah, by the way, Michelle's gay. Um, Because I think the difference between the two and is that there's no mention of Dumbledore's love life at all in the books. Yeah. So it's easier to imagine that he's a gay character. Mm-hmm. Whereas they made Michelle go out of his way to convince us that he wasn't gay. And then yeah. for you to throw it in our faces, like, oh, by the way, he is gay. And now all of a sudden, by the way, Stars Hollow is throwing a gay pride parade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like that's what makes me stop and say, like, who is this for? Yeah, and then if if we can go back to what you said about um his like in the pilot when Rory's like, oh, I'll tell the ladies what a stud you are, and then then there's another uh, episode in season two. I remember we talked about where it's also like Michelle himself kind of also implies that I think they're at are they at um. Lorelai's bachelorette party and he's like oh the ladies like it too kind of well that was that was a whole really ridiculous episode to me just because you mentioned it because they made Michelle physically uncomfortable when drag queens joined him on stage yeah exactly. you know what I mean that's fucking problematic that's probably like that's problematic not just it's Michelle but it's problematic it was anybody and problematic in general yeah problematic if you had Lorelai up there and then get you know what I mean like that's problematic without the context of is Michelle gay or not? Yeah. And then however many years later, you're like, by the way, he's gay. I have to say that gay people aren't sometimes also uncomfortable by drag queens, but I'm just saying it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to do to go out of your way to convince us that he wasn't. Yeah. And then I find like after season two, like from season three onward, let's say, and that, they didn't like they never ex- explicitly came out and said what Mich- like Michelle's deal let's say mm-hmm. but it's like as we've already discussed we've discussed up to season four and there's more as we, there's more to come as we know but like just the little just like the little subtext to us now watching and analyzing it's like okay he's clearly gay and how many times have we said that ever as we've analyzed up until this point right it's just yeah, but it's, see, that like, interests me too. Like, where at what point in time is there a shift in the writer's room where yeah. they're like, we've up until this point written him as telling people that the ladies love him. And mm-hmm. now we're going to go out of our way in the complete opposite direction and be like, make him dance to Celine Dion and throw a funeral for his dogs. 
where you, you know what I mean? Like, so that's why I, as much as I think that um, Amy Sherman Palladino was a trailblazer in her own right, mm-hmm. not for everything. No, and I like I said, we can't. I'm, I won't put words in her mouth, but like, I think a, a combination of her, the network, and the and the timeline just did a complete disservice to Michelle's character. Yeah, but there just had to be a point in time in the writers' room where they're like, you know, it would be funny. <laughs> and then yeah, and you're also. Yeah, I just, I just, I want to know who, because you have to know that it wasn't a gay person that was on that, in that writer's room going, yeah, guys, that'd be hilarious. Exactly. And I think you're, I think we're leaving out, in my opinion, like the most problematic of all of Michelle's subplots, which is his rivalry with Tobin in season four. For sure. And like, I'm sorry, there's, and we've, we've, we've discussed both Tobin's appearances. Mm -hmm in our existing podcast episodes. Um, and I'm, and I've actually was just rewatching season three and four before bed, as you know, cause that's what I like to watch to lull me to sleep sometimes. Um, and so it's just, it's so obvious that Tobin is not straight. Like, you know, like it's just, it's obvious. It's so, there's just obvious in so many just cultural and cultural tropes, understanding stereotypes that like this character was not written as a heterosexual man. Like no, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade, but Tobin is clearly not straight, right? And the way in which like, it's, and it's it's comical, like I get it, but in the way, the ways in which they pit Michelle against him and like in season four, when he, just, when he magically reappears as um, Davy's nanny, it's like this face that he gives to Michelle, like just disgust and it's like, it's problematic in the sense that it's a tired trope of gay men hating each other. Like that's, it's a trope, it's a trope taken from life, I can attest, but like, it just, it doesn't work on several levels because as we've already exhaustively pointed out, they don't follow through on any of the labels or not even follow, not even follow through. They don't give us labels because they're scared of them, you know? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I mean, we can we can discuss this till kingdom come, but um, I know we wanted to also talk about this revelation that you had pertaining to Dave. Yes. So, Dave. <laughs> so yes, as I said, I was I I didn't be watching seasons uh, three and four, which are I think my probably two of my favorite. Season four, as everyone knows, is my definitely definitely my favorite season but as I was rewatching season three and I was thinking back to what I had said about Dave Rogalski during season three of our podcast pretty sure I say I didn't like him like I wasn't a fan when it came to analyzing because I knew having already seen the series 500 times over that the writers just also bundled his story too like just like I get the actor left and the actor was, it was a recurring guest starring role for season three. I'm sure he, I'm sure he was fully within his rights to lead to audition for other roles and he got cast in the OC and that was that. But it's just, I think now looking back, having watched recently again, after analyzing, it was like, my beef was never with Dave Rogalski. It was with the writers. Oh, I have beef with the writers when it comes to Dave Rogalski as well. Yeah, so I think part of the reason why I've eased up on Dave Rogowski is because um, just we follow a lot of 
uh, Girl More Girls type fan accounts on our social media. And a lot of people love Dave and Lane's relationship. And, you know, we'll come across posts that's, that celebrate them. And the caption reads like, oh, he stayed up to read the Bible for her in one night, all because, you know, just to impress uh, his her mother. And just those little things, and you, you, you keep them in the back of your head while you're watching. I'm thinking, you know what, you're right. My beef was never with Dave. Like he, he and Lane were good together, aside from a few little maybe things that pissed me off about him, but nothing really major. I actually liked them together. They were cute. That story worked. What didn't work for me is how once the actor left for another job, fine. Again, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. Go right ahead. Like the writers just didn't give enough of a shit about Lane to, you know, think 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 that far ahead in the future of okay Seth Cohen left for another show we couldn't possibly bring him back for one episode to wrap up that story like you don't care like you you don't you give that much of you don't care that much about Lane that you can't bring her, her first serious boyfriend back to wrap that up you know to me it's it's um uh, yeah so I don't know if it's disrespect towards Lane or if it's disrespect towards the fans but in general, I hate, hate, hate when writers do this. Okay. I hate when there is a real life situation, like the one with Adam Brody leaving for the OC, which is fine. I said um, Seth Cohen. Seth Cohen is his character on the OC, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Adam Brody, not Seth. Seth Cohen is a fictional character. <laughs> yeah. So... The OC premiered in the summer of 2003, in mid-August of 2003. You would and know. It had, and it had already been picked up for a an extended first season. It was 27 episodes long. So you already knew that he wasn't going to be able to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, give us some kind of explanation. Give us some kind of storyline where you know lane is talking to him on the phone and they're figuring out that the the long distance is not working and how is she ever going to come visit him when mama kim doesn't you know what i mean give us something so number one yes it's disrespectful to lane's character because it means you didn't care enough to fill in that plot hole for her but i find it's just so fucking lazy that you couldn't take four seconds out of whatever episode to have Lane talking to Rory and being like, well, you know, I spoke to Dave last night and it's not really, it was just poof, he's gone. Yeah, poof, he's gone. Like, I'm pretty sure the last time they mentioned him was the marriage job, right? That's exactly it. So as far as we know, by the end of season four, they're still doing long distance because the last time we meant he, they mentioned him is with the marriage jug and he's in California doing his thing, but we're still made to feel like they're together. Yeah. But then never again. <laughs> so I hate that. I think it's very, very lazy writing. Yeah, I um, mean, there, there's you know, there's a general consensus across the Gilmore Girls fandom that, that you know, Lane deserve better, right? So, but I mean, it's also just like a slap in the face for fans that have been with you now for four years, going on entering season five with you. Yeah, and it's just it's a slap in the face because do you think we're stupid? Mm-hmm. Do you think we're just gonna be like, huh, whatever, Dave? No, like we want to know, and this is not. This is not something that you like intentionally did. You know, like we recently posted something about, um, remember the town loner that was doing a protest? Mm -hmm. And we all kind of wanted to know what the banner said. Yeah. 
that's not a plot hole. They basically did that to drive us crazy. They knew what they were doing, right? Yeah, this, exactly. This felt like, oh, yeah. Do we have to write something about Dave? No, they'll probably forget about him. Whatever. No. Yeah. You have to do it. You owe it. You owe us that much. Yeah. And like, if I can offer a comparison in this situation where there's been so many other shows where, and I know that the OC has no affiliation with Gilmore Girls and it's on a, it was on a completely different network. Well, it was on a completely different network, but you have to remember that for those of us who had basic cable, Mm -hmm. um, the WB ran on the same channel that Fox was on. Oh, did it? Yeah. So you would be watching um, Fox at like eight o'clock at night and there would be previews and trailers for WB shows. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they were different networks, but they ran on the same channel and there was a lot of like cross-referencing between the two. Hmm, um, I never I never had the WB growing up, so I didn't so I wouldn't know. Well, I didn't have it either except for late night when it would play on the Fox channel that I had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so I probably had it too. But I just never never realized that Fox also showed WB shows. Yeah. Well then that that is a interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, so like there's just there's just like so many other examples that I could give where a character leaves for a spinoff and you know the relationship from the previous show didn't end and it's like they moved away and long distance isn't working like the one that's coming to mind right now is um i recently in the months since we last spoke on the podcast i um i tracked i finally tracked down a way to legally watch um the jennifer love hewitt spinoff of party of five and eleni is rolling her eyes i can't see her but i know she is um I was, because <laughs> I was a huge Party of Five fan when I was a teenager. I bought all the DVDs for far too expensive. And then they showed up on Netflix just a few years later. And I could never find the spinoff that Jennifer Love Hewitt did that was only on for one season. Could never find it anywhere. I think there are some really, really bad quality uploads on YouTube of some episodes, but I just didn't feel like watching really bad quality YouTube videos of it. And I ended up finding it on an app where there's ads. So I didn't have, I didn't end up seeing all the episodes because it got kind of tedious watching it with ads. But all of that to say, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character was dating one of the main characters on Party of Five. And she left to move to like visit New York to find her mother and her not find her mother, but like find, you know, her, you know, backstory, whatever it is. And um, eventually she re- like she decides she's going to stay in New York and they kind of break up over the phone. And there's like this. There's this heartfelt moment of like Bailey, her boyfriend on Party of Five, leaving a message on, on like leaving like leaving a message on her answering machine saying like, "Oh, I'm looking for Sarah." Like, just it makes you feel sad, and then they break up again. Like you you never see him. That's what I'm saying. Like there was just, but they gave us this whole sense of them breaking up and her moving on, and they could have so so easily done that with Lane and Dave. Yeah, that's why I say it's lazy because it it could have been. I think of all the bits that they've done over the years. Mm-hmm. and you know how many filler episodes they have and yeah. you could have easily worked something in to that um to that effect like mm-hmm. you know like a no hard feelings it's just not working i i'm clearly not coming to california you're clearly not coming back to connecticut you know what i mean like it could have been quick it could have been over with they could have inserted their typical gilmore girls wit and it would have been fine and i wouldn't have felt like I'd been hoodwinked by writers who thought I was dumb. Yeah, considering they spent so much time in season three developing the Lane and Dave story only to then 
completely drop it in season four. And the, the reason I bring up that the OC premiered in the summer of 2003 is because going into season four in the fall of 2003, you already knew he wasn't coming back. Yeah. So you could have just as easily, instead of doing the whole marriage jug bit, mm-hmm. you could have just as easily been like, oh, well, Dave moved to California and we decided that it's too much long distance. It's not meant to be blah, 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 blah. But. Yeah, considering that even in the first two episodes, like, and I think it's the first two episodes of season four, we don't even see Lane, and it's only, I think it's episode three or four when we first when we first see Lane, like for the first time in season four, and like it's just oh Dave moved to California, like they're trying to find a new a new a new like a new band member, and it's just like oh can't fault him for going to college, and like Zach's all pissy, and it's just they're acknowledging it, but it's still an afterthought, you know. Yeah, anyways, uh, it is what it is with Dave Riddell. Dave Riddell. <laughs> uh, we got a question on the social medias that I wanted to bring up and that you told me right before we started recording that you gave a lot of thought to. Mm-hmm. So somebody asked us if there was another season of A Year in the Life, who we would want to see guest star on that season. Um, was that the question or was it the question? I thought it was... Like if there, if any guests, if like there could have been any guest star on Gilmore Girls, who would it have been? Oh, I read it differently. Yeah, it was, who is one guest star you would have loved to see in an episode of Gilmore Girls? Oh, go ahead, Ben. Okay, yeah, you <laughs> you, you kind of combined two of the questions. <laughs> um, yeah, the other one was, what, what would we want the revival, like if there was a second revival of Gilmore Girls, what, what would we want the plot to be? No, Which I'm not I think, talking about that. Yeah, so we said we were going to, leave all questions about the revival until we actually discuss the revival which will come eventually eventually our dear pretties just hold on <laughs> um so yeah so this question is who is one guest star you would have loved to see in an episode of Gilmore Girls and yes I gave a lot of thought to this in terms not in terms of guest star necessarily but I thought of like which care like which character from another show would I like to have seen like alongside a character on Gilmore Girls kind of thing. And initially when I was thinking about the guest star, I, my first instinct was to say Nancy Walker, who played Ida Morgenstern on uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and Rhoda, because I think that Ida Morgenstern and Emily Gilmore in one room would be just chef's kiss. Interesting. It's a very niche response. Yeah, clearly. Is that all you came up with? No. And so, <laughs> so then I started thinking about who, which other character, and this obviously wouldn't, again, timelines make no sense with this, but I was thinking of which character would I also like to see in a room with Paris Geller. Mm. And the, honestly, the only thing that came to mind was Dina Fox from Superstore. Oh, that's a good one, actually. You know, the whole, your, our favorite quote of, I want to meet your mother so I can shove her back inside you. That's a Dean. That's, that's something that oh, Dina said. Back inside her. Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> her back inside you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, that's a great quote. Um, yeah. That's good. Actually. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That has a lot of potential with uh, Paris actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. By the way, Superstore is just such a good show, but whatever. Um, it is. Yeah, I I found this to be a hard question 
because um, Gilmore Girls is not known for having very famous guest stars. In the sense of like, you know, I always compare it to, remember when Friends used to bring on a guest star and everybody would like go fucking nuts? I knew you were going to say that. I just Like when Brad Pitt made his appearance and Danny DeVito and Julia Roberts and like everyone, you know, like that was a time where people used to talk about like, oh my God, Danny DeVito is on Friends this week. I cannot miss, you know what I mean? Yeah. Gilmore Girls was not known for that. And all the guest stars that they had um, were not famous people in the traditional sense <laughs> so they know have- like like and that's why i wanted to pick nancy walker as ida morgan stearns i'm like that's a, such an that's like just the perfect amount of niche for Gilmore girls yeah but they had um like norman mailer they had madeline albright they had christian amapur they had also um what's his face paul anka in a dream sequence so they weren't really known for bringing in um guest stars like that well, i mean marion i mean marion ross as gran was kind of uh, right but she was more she wasn't like a one and done episode kind of thing she was yeah gran was and her, cousin marilyn so you know that yeah, was a recurring role yeah so um but then i started thinking of like there's very few people in my opinion that can pull off that kind of amy sherman palladino wit yeah um and like quickness on their feet so my mind just kept going back to all the characters from Maisel um, and season four just well not just ended but it ended in March and it got me thinking about Drella. Drella yes. Yeah Drella the harpist Alex Borstein and this this season on Maisel she did such a fantastic job that she was born to play an Amy Sherman Palladino role. Yeah. And I'm so glad she's doing so well on Maisel. Mm-hmm. But I started thinking like, because she was originally supposed to be the Suki. Yes, yes, she was. So I started thinking about how much the show, I think, would have been different if she was Suki. And I mm-hmm. think n- no shade to Melissa McCarthy, but we've said it before. She was underutilized on the show. Um, I think if you had someone like Alex Borstein, who was a little bit more like Lauren Graham in the sense of being able to come back with the quick witty um, comebacks. You know what I mean? I think the show would have gone, I think they would have used Suki's character differently. 100% agree. And I have to wonder if, if um, Alex Alex Borstein had been Suki, like would they have written Suki similar to how they they wrote Drella? Because that would have just been also chef's kiss like imagine like yeah, imagine drella would have been like suki would have been lorelei's paris basically yeah and i think you know that I mean? yeah and I, I don't know like obviously it was what it was and melissa mccarthy was wonderful and underutilized as we said it's just like it would have been a very different show if it had been like rory in paris and uh Lorelai and Suki slash Drella like that would have just been a very different dynamic it would have been a different dynamic it would have been I think they would have first of all I think they would have made me care about Suki's character a little bit more yeah for sure um and I think it has like I said it has nothing to do with Melissa McCarthy I just think it would have been um a different direction because of their different acting styles yeah, do you think that, because I know like Alex Borstein isn't like the lead on Maisel, obviously. Um, do you think well, that- she's Alex, one of them. Yeah, like she's, yeah, she's part of it. She's 
part of the ensemble. Like, do you think that Alex Borstein is more of a supporting star rather than a leading star? What do you think? No, I think, I think she's shown that she is a star in her own right. Yeah, like she's, I find she's almost, she's almost like, a, like a conduit between like Amy Sherman Palladino, her pen and the screen. And like in between, she's like the link. Alex Borstein is the link between all those things. Yeah, I think she just does such an incredible job. Um, like, I don't know. I think the way she's able to emote, the way she can switch from sassy to caring to I don't give a f- like you know I think I, I don't know I love everything about her mm-hmm. um that's also a testament to the writing for sure but I think she just does such an incredible job um by herself that I would love to see her in something on her own yeah um and I think you know as the seasons have gone on and Maisel as well they've given her more of her own storylines mm-hmm. that don't revolve around um the actual main character Midge which is mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel Brosnan's character right which I think they've seen fans reaction to her and have you know understood that she can go she doesn't need anyone else with her like she can light up the screen by herself Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah like her Emmys are so well deserved congratulations to her but I think it would have been a completely completely different dynamic if she had stayed on um Gilmore Girls, sorry. For sure. <laughs> I was like, what's the name of the show we're discussing? Uh, <laughs> did you did you just talk about the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and not shame me for having not watched it? Yeah, like I've given up, so fuck it. <laughs> Honestly, I considered it when this when the new season came out, and not just because Milo was gonna be in the new season. Obviously, I'm, i would have to oh, catch it's up. It's not to, worth it. Sorry, but <laughs> obviously I would have to catch up to that point anyway to see him. But like just when I when I log when like I logged on to Prime Video and I saw like the episodes are like an hour long. I'm like, I, I just I, I don't have the brain space for that Wait, right now. You tell me you watched Party of Five. This okay, Party of Five I watched as a teenager. That was like a decade ago. Yeah, but you had the brain space to watch fucking Party of Five, but you can't watch Maisel. Um, that was a 42 minute network show. Oh my god. There's a difference. Okay. No. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it because no. Mm-mm. And yes, I had the brain space to watch the Jennifer Love Hewitt spinoff. I've been searching for it for like eight years. You know what? <laughs> I can shame you so hard right now, but I'm not going to. Oh, please. We can both shame each other for multiple things. Let's not look under that rock. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, that was our guest star stuff. So thank you for the question. Um, we also got into a little bit of a discussion about if Gilmore Girls was to take place in the year 2022, because, or 2020 as it were, 20, the 2020s, shall we say. The cursed decade. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what decade it is anymore. The 20s. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, it kind of gets you thinking of, because we've also seen a lot of um, threads, a lot of tweets, a lot of posts about people talking about what Gilmore Girls characters would be doing in different scenarios. Mike DeCenzo's famous one about, you know, how they would be handling the pandemic. Um, We often get, you know, posts about what people would be doing in certain scenarios of like protests and social issues and whatnot. 
So I think it's just really interesting to look at Gilmore Girls through a 2020s lens. Mm-hmm. Um, because the last time we had any Gilmore Girls characters was in 2016, which is also a completely different time from the time before, which is 2007, right? Um, yeah, and even like if you want to compare like 2022 to 2016, worlds apart. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's only six years, but holy shit! Actually, it's more like five and a half because it premiered in just November, right? Anyways, whatever. I thought you were going to say more like 50 years. That's what it feels like. It feels like it, yeah. But I mean, you know, I remember thinking, you know, when the revival is coming out, how are these characters going to hold up in a completely different time and environment, right? Um, And famously in the revival, we had Rory Gilmore having three different phones, Remember that? Right. <laughs> her old flip phone, her old, I think, Blackberry or sidekick, and then a new iPhone. And then using technology like the Vine, you know, when her potential boss, Sandy, sends her a Vine, which was a seven second video. Right. Um, Vine just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> right. So even from 2016 to 2022, there's been so much um, happening and so many changes. So I started thinking about Gilmore Girls in the context of 2022 and, you know, some of the things that we think are cool and trendy now. And if there was to be another season, how would these characters, um, you know, be living their lives in this this decade, I guess. And one of the things that came out of it is me writing a thread on Twitter about different characters playing Wordle. (laughs) Are you a Wordle player, by the way? So I don't play Wordle because I just know myself and I would just develop a toxic relationship with it. And I just. But you can't develop a toxic relationship with it. Because it's one a day and that's it. Okay. So (laughs) the reason why I don't want to play it, because I feel like it'll make me feel dumb. And I don't like when I don't like when my phone makes me feel dumb. That's the reason why I don't play it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I do play Wordle. And the reason why I know you can do it more than once is because my mother has the Wordle Unlimited app and she just sits on her phone and she plays it over and over and I want to reach over and break her iPhone. Okay, well, that wasn't the intent of Wordle. The intent of Wordle was really one a day. Yeah. The guy who made it, it was one a day for his girlfriend. Do it once a day, that's it. Come back the next day. Like, okay. And now the New York Times has acquired it. And um, yeah made everything crazy um but i do play wordle um it's the first thing i do when i get to work every morning (laughs) (laughs) so it's yeah it's really a routine that i have i get to work i open my emails i answer some of my emails and then i open wordle um it's my little reward for answering my emails um, as you should have a reward for that god emails take forever fuck emails anyway (laughs) Um, so yeah it got me thinking about who would play Wordle in the Gilmore Girls world? Who would enjoy it? Who would be competitive? Who wouldn't give a fuck? And um, I think they're pretty accurate, actually. Out of your thread, which I'm, I think you're going to have to share a few of them now. Um, I think I'm Lorelai in that equation. Like, abandons it after two weeks. Like, no. Oh, I think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, did you abandon it after two weeks? I didn't even try it. Yeah, it was way less than that. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I wrote for Lorelai that um, she always uses the same word, which is cafe, because she can't use coffee. 
is not super competitive player. She usually gets it in four to five tries, but loses interest after two weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm quite proud of Paris's. Yes. So I wrote for Paris. First thing she does when she wakes up at 545 every morning has done a ton of research and knows that crane is the best starting word. So there is research done on Wordle words. Crane is the best word. Always plays in hard mode. Did you know there was a hard mode? I didn't. Well, there you go. And gets physically angry if she hasn't solved it in three. Oh, absolutely. I, I just picture her going to her craft cr- corner and like throwing a bunch of dried macaroni. Because <laughs> we know Paris, growing up Paris still has a craft corner. We just don't. 100%. She doesn't use it as much as she used to, but it's still there. She needs it. Yeah. Uh, Jess is super aloof. He plays every day, but he keeps it to himself. He never talks about it. Doesn't care about the starting words and hates the fucking squares on Twitter. I have to say, I also hate the squares on Twitter. Okay. So I need you to explain. Cause I actually, I, I'm pretty sure I asked you like when the Wordle first started becoming popular, I had to ask you what the fuck is Wordle? Right. And, you did ask me. Yeah. And Eleni explained it to me and I'm going to have to ask you to explain it, explain a part of it again to me. What do the squares on Twitter mean? I don't know. I just scroll past. I don't have the, I don't, I don't understand. So you get, uh, you get a certain amount of tries, mm-hmm. certain number of tries to get this five letter word. So you okay. start with whatever word you want mm-hmm. and it gives you either gray squares, yellow squares, and green squares. Gray squares mean that the letter that you typed is not in the word. Okay. Yellow squares mean that the letter that you typed is in the word, but is not in the position that you put it in. Okay. And green squares mean that the letter is in the word and it is in that exact position. Okay. So let's say if you were to type crane, like Paris's research studied word, and there was an E in the word, but it wasn't in the last position, it would show up as yellow. So then you know it's in the word, but not the last letter. Okay. So like what when you post the like when you post so when the, you post the, the the squares. Yeah. So they're basically walking you through all their tries. So if they wrote crane and the first line is all gray, that means C-R-A-N-N-E, N and E are not in the word. Okay. And then they posted, let's say their second try, they posted like, I don't know, what letters did I say? Whatever, they posted other letters and then they got a couple of yellows, you know? So they're basically describing to you each try what their Wordle grid looked like and what, um, how they solved it, basically. Okay, I here I was thinking that people like tweeted out like the solution to that day's puzzle. No, they're not tweeting out the solution. They're just tweeting out. Um, usually, it's a brag about like how they got it, um, or you know, they're showing you what their what their process was. Um, I think I've done that once because I was super proud of myself. I got it in two. <laughs> But I also hate the fucking squares on Twitter. On on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really. Okay, like. Like, good. sorry guys, but I had to mute a couple of you that were like showing me this every fucking day. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Not sorry, sorry guys, but no. <laughs> and then I, I I I did Dean's because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and, a, and a few people have commented saying that we did Dean dirty. No, well, Dean, Dean. Dean does himself dirty, sweetie. Okay. Exactly. Fuck you that you think I did Dean dirty. Okay, please Get share. Out Get out of here that I did Dean dirty. Dean is trash. <laughs> How many times I have to explain it to you? Anyways, but for Dean, I wrote, uh, heard about it while listening to Joe Rogan. Obviously, yeah. he listens to Joe Rogan. 
always starts with a dirty word and he thinks it's hilarious uses letters he's already used even though they're not in the word often gets confused about what the yellow squares do and mean uh, yeah <laughs> i'm not sorry and if you don't think that's accurate get out of here get See, I, out i have a kindergartner's grasp on mortal and i know that and i know that that's accurate okay <laughs> and then kirk's was just for fun i wrote uses a dictionary to outsmart wordle eventually comes up with his own kirk themed version and advertises it through the power of dance <laughs> I just really want to see Kirk dance again. <laughs> I'd play I'd play the Kirk version. I think I would. Yeah. There's a bunch of different versions of Wordle, by the way. Oh, interesting. There's Gatel. Um, there's K-pop Wordle. I'm sorry, there's Gatel, like as in gay words. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's um a longer version. So I think seven letter words or eight letter words, which obviously makes it a little bit harder. Um, there's a dirty version. So people type fucks, shits, farts, all that shit. That's perfect for Dean. Even though he'd never fucking get the word. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of different versions. People have to really just run with it. I like it because, like I said, it's one a day, you do it, and that's it. Right. Um, you know, you're like, yeah, I got his wordle. Ha <laughs> ha, done. You know, um, I'm also just, I'm also just terrified of getting alzheimer's so i do a bunch of word stuff oh my god that's exactly why well not exactly that's part of the reason why my mom does the wordle unlimited because she's like it keeps me sharp well okay i have to say (laughs) i um i do a bunch of like cerebral activities for that reason but also listen not just because it's not a chore when i do it like i enjoy doing them but i do a lot of stuff like i'm subscribed to the new york times um like game section Right. So I literally pay $55 a year to just have unlimited access to all their crosswords, like all of them in the vault. And like, <laughs> yeah. And all of the, um, I also play um, spelling bee every day as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, I just, I do that. I'm terrified of getting Alzheimer's. You guys, my grandfather had Alzheimer's. It was really bad. Like I can't imagine, you know, in the beginning it was, it was heartbreaking to watch him know that he didn't know something. Mm-hmm. like in that stage where you're still aware and you're frustrated with yourself is just very heartbreaking to watch. And I can't imagine being stuck in your head like that. Ignorant so, question, but do, sorry? is there like ign- ignorant question, but is there actually evidence that playing like playing like brain teasers and games like that, like actually help prevent Alzheimer's? So I'm also, because I'm so terrified of getting Alzheimer's, I'm also really up to date on a bunch of like Alzheimer's research. Okay. Um, <laughs> And because I work in a medical library, I've set up alerts (laughs) Um, so that every time there's like a new um, breakthrough in Alzheimer's research, I get a a little ping and a little hit of dopamine. Um, (laughs) There is some research that suggests that working your brain in any way, whether it's like through doing puzzles, um, which I also do a lot of, by the way, like physical puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, or um, just taking like 10 minutes a day to like learn a new language even if you're not learning the language just doing the work putting in the work of like learning new words and stuff there is research that suggests that that can help either slow down the process or um yeah like slow down the process really if you're gonna get it or just like keep it away but um there's nothing definitive yet which is really shitty um it's one of those diseases that's really shitty yeah (laughs) but all that to say that i'm terrified of it and i do a bunch of shit like this (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so on the weekends, I wake up every morning and open my little app and do the fucking crossword puzzle. <laughs> and it takes me forever, but I don't care. Um, but yeah, I do do Wordle. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you is about Gilmore Girls characters in TikTok. Why did I just know you're going to say that? As soon as you said Vine, I knew we we're going to jump to TikTok. <laughs> well, listen, a lot of people have described TikTok as a newer version of Vine. And a much more toxic version of mine. Ooh, 100%. Like, remember, I, remember, I, I think I texted you once to say, like, do you, like, I don't remember what, I don't know how I worded it, but I remember saying, like, something to the effect of, do you ever worry about Gen Z's mental health just by taking one glance at TikTok? And you're like, 100%. fuck that. No, you're like, fuck that. Nobody worried about my mental health. Nope. Nobody worried about me. But um, I, <sighs> Listen, there's only so much shit you can do with social media nowadays. And I feel like we've just come full circle. We're back to vines, but like longer vines. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that some people's TikToks don't crack me up. Yeah. There are some people on TikTok that um, are fucking hilarious and keep keep doing what you're doing. But um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hilarious. But um, there's also a couple of guys that we follow, guys and gals that we follow. Um on Instagram as well. So I'm not really a big TikTok app user. I usually, I'm usually the old person that ends up seeing them on Instagram later as a reel. As, as, as do I. Yeah. And then if I like the person, I'll go over to TikTok and see some of their other videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not really big in TikTok on TikTok, but um, I was wondering if you think any, who, who would be the most likely to use TikTok? If any. Um, that's a good question. I feel like in the same vein as Paris conquering Wordle, I feel like maybe Paris would want to like, I think Paris would see TikTok as a marketing strategy and would try to learn as much as she could from it so she could benefit, like, m- like benefit monetarily in terms of she conquered, you know, like she conquered the marketing facet of it and therefore yeah. she knows everything there is to know about tiktok does all the dances does all the trends because she knows that by participating she's gonna you know get them dollar bills i don't know <laughs> well i don't know about the dances i don't see paris doing that but when i was thinking about this i definitely thought that paris was um one of the characters that i think yes a would benefit from it the most because of her fertility clinic Mm-hmm. So there's also really um, like a subgroup of TikTok of doctors walking you through stuff. Yeah. Which can be really informational, by the way. Um, I actually got a question because I'm also a patient librarian at the library I work at. Um, I also got a question the other day about somebody saying, I saw on TikTok that. And they, they were referring to a video of a doctor on TikTok. So I think um, doctors making TikToks has really revolutionized the way younger generations interact with their healthcare professionals. Which like for better and for worse, I guess. Yeah, there's pros and cons, definitely. I'm not saying it's all good for sure. Um, but I do think that she would be one of those people, not because she liked it, but because she knows that's where the money is to kind of do that. Yeah. And I also think Paris is a person that would not want to show her age. So, you know, when you're, you're, you were younger and you would talk to your like aunts and uncles about, you know, the Backstreet Boys are in sync or whatever. And they'd be like, who the fuck? 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's me now. Like I was watching the Grammys the other day and I was like, <laughs> I don't know who fucking any of these people are. So you're better than me. I recorded the Grammys and was like, eh, the next day I didn't even Well, <laughs> here's, I watched the Grammys. Like we're, we're putting quotation marks around this. I watched a little bit of the Grammys because, um, well, that's exactly why, because I went and looked at who the nominees were and I'm like, who the fuck are these people? And I was like, maybe I'll know their faces. <laughs> nope. Didn't know their faces either. <laughs> so um yeah but I think I think Paris is the type of person that does not want that to happen Mm -hmm. so she's like I'm gonna stay up to date and current on all the information I'm gonna know who all the TikTokers are I'm gonna know who everyone is at the Grammys you know what I mean yeah that's what I mean in terms of like Paris maybe not Paris like conquering the dances and like all the physical aspects of it but I can totally see her uh, like conquering all the behind the scenes aspects of the benefits of TikTok. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely think um, it would be her if anyone. Um, I think Luke would call it TikTok because and Luke wouldn't. I don't even not even convinced Luke would know how to use an iPhone. No, exactly. But I think the only reason maybe he would know what it was is because of April. Um, True. Yeah, I could see April being on TikTok. Yeah, you know who I think would be the biggest TikTok user? No. Gigi. Oh, fuck. Obviously. Why didn't I think of that? Exactly. We often forget about Gigi, but Gigi is a person, you guys. Yeah. Gigi in 2022 would be a 19-year-old. Okay, then 100%. 19-year-old trust fund baby? You think she's not on fucking TikTok? (laughs) Trust fund baby. Uh, Gigi would be all up on TikTok doing TikTok dances. No job, goes to a state university, has gotten COVID three times because she's <laughs> on the beach in Florida. Uh, that's uh, that's painfully accurate. Yes. It's Gigi, you guys. That's <laughs> what it is. COVID three times. That's oh, who it is. By the yeah. way, you have to be super unlucky to get COVID three fucking times in three years. Indeed. I know somebody like that. <laughs> Poor thing. But yeah. Anyways, so that's what I got. But I, I think it's just interesting to, because we often talk about, is there is there not going to be another season? Um, and just like, I think there needs to be adjustments and there needed to be adjustments in 2016. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things are going to have to change if we bring this show to a more modern era. Yeah, um, I don't I mean we said we said we weren't going to touch too much on revival type. Questions. No, but I think I just think in general this is my 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 caveat in general for shows like this. Mm. For any show that's thinking of doing a revival or a reboot or um you know like a same premises same premises same premise um like how I met your mother how I met your father kind of thing. Yeah. Any show that's trying to do something like that, you need to look at your original script and your original vision and be really critical and say yeah maybe this wasn't okay you know yeah 100 percent in terms of like addressing problematic past failures but like in terms of me wanting slash needing another gilmore girls revival where the characters are on tiktok no thanks no, I mean, that was just us for fun talking about it. But I mean, there are certain things that I think I would need. 
Like mm. realistically speaking, am I going to watch another revival if it comes out for sure? Obviously, but it's like. But yeah. there are certain things now as an almost 30 year old woman that <laughs> shut the fuck up that, uh, <laughs> that I need to be okay with another season, you know? And I'm not talking stories, plots, whatever characters, that's you. That's your creative license you know those are your characters that's your show you can do whatever you want with it um in terms of like decisions that characters make and life choices and stuff like that yeah i'm talking about things um that socially you know that i look back on in gilmore girls and i'm like ooh, that didn't age well you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah um and you know some of that is woven into the storyline and the plot line and who the character is but um and that does make it harder sometimes but i mean you know there are certain things that i would need to be okay with it yeah like especially like i said especially in terms of when you say like all oh, that didn't age well i think the mo nowadays is just kind of like drop it and pretend it didn't happen yeah and yeah. that just kind of I think it just kind of buys into the whole like cancel culture premise, which we are just not going to touch today. No, but um, I think in terms of I think and I think we both share this this feeling of instead of just pretending it didn't pretending it doesn't exist, pretending it didn't happen, like try and rectify it in a way that does a serve does a service rather than a disservice to your characters. Like it's not a matter of like it's obviously a matter of the audience so it's like do a service to the audience and the characters but more so like think about think about what you, like think about what you want from the characters that your audience is going to respond to if yeah. that makes sense you know absolutely so i think that's what we wanted to talk about today <laughs> indeed um and in terms of season five i think we are aiming towards later this year so yeah um I'm about to enter what is hopefully my last university semester. So after, after that is uh, finished, I think we will be diving into season five. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. Yes. But we're still always active on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. And perhaps in, in perhaps between now and then we will emerge with another bonus episode for Absolutely. your, for your, I'm going to say viewing pleasure, but not your, your listening pleasure. Your ears. Your ears. Uh, where can they find us, Jeffrey? Uh, they can follow us on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast and on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And should you feel the need to email us, you can do so. Gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And that is all for this bonus episode. We will hopefully see you soon. Bye. Yeah.